Okay, everyone. Thank you for joining. Very happy, happy Hanukkah. Tonight's shir was dedicated by Levi and Leah Davidson. And this is in honor of Tzvi Hersh ben Aaron David Halevi. As we mentioned on Thursday night, the entire week's classes. Um, that you should beseech Hashem for good things on their behalf. And most importantly, to continue the demand of Hashem that it's time to bring down the third base of Migdash. And as is written over here, it's long overdue. Someone I saw from Rabbi Ginsburg, I think, I saw it in this very beautiful publication called Wonders, from Rabbi, has usually Rabbi Ginsburg's teachings. I wonder if this is from Rabbi Ginsburg or from Rabbi Moshe Genuth. I'm not exactly sure who said it, but that Hashminai, which is the way you celebrate Hanukkah, the, the, the Maccabees are called the Hashminai, is the exact same words as Mashiach now. So that's it. We want Mashiach now. In any case, um, may this be a schus, and thank you for the dedication. Now, um, let's talk about, you know, Hanukkah is Hanukkah. It's a wonderful time, full of light, full of blessings. Um, I was sitting and looking at the flames tonight, and actually it wasn't tonight, it was actually early. Maybe it started in my head last night. I was beginning to contemplate the idea that we we look at the holy flames. We're supposed to sit in front of the flames for a half an hour. You light the menorah, you're supposed to sit by the menorah for half an hour. And it says it's very, very special to gaze at those holy flames. It's uh, it's therapeutic for the soul. Very, very, very good thing to do. So we do every night a half an hour. So I, I thought to myself... Um, if you count those half an hours, so how many hours is it totally that we sit in front and look at those candles? So it's pretty neat that we sit for four hours because eight nights of Hanukkah, each night a half an hour. So it gives you four full hours. Now, truth is Friday night, the custom is that we don't sit the full half an hour because usually we light the candles and off we whisk the way to shul. So we'll honor our wives and the, the women who are not coming to shul Friday night to kind of look at the candles for the half an hour. And uh, thereby, we get the benefit as well, us guys, if you can say. <laughs> but the women have for sure the ability to look at the candles for four hours throughout Hanukkah. So what's the significance of those four hours? So how many minutes are there in an hour? If you have 60 minutes in an hour. So 60 times... Um, four is 240. 240. So I was thinking, what can, what's the significance of 240? 240 is the gematria of Ram. Ram means exalted. Hashem exalted us, lifted us up. Ram means to lift up, to elevate. Like the father of Moshe, his name was Am Ram, which means an elevated nation. So the lights of Hanukkah, Elevate us. They elevate us from darkness. And it says in the Pasuk also, Ram al, we say it in Halal, which we say every day of Hanukkah, Ram al Kogoyim Hashem. Hashem is exalted over the nations. Perhaps the meaning, I didn't see this anywhere, but perhaps the meaning can also mean that Ram al Kogoyim, that uh, the, the lights of Hanukkah, which we look at for 240 minutes, which is the Gematri of Ram, elevates us. The, the, from the 
from the Goyim world, which means from the a world that is not not necessarily completely holy, even though we're living already in Mashiach's days any moment, which we're living already in Mashiach's days already since the Rebbe told us 30 years ago that we're in Mashiach's days. And it's not yet completely revealed to our eyes. Whatever it is, there's still some element sometimes of the 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 uh, certain la you know there's a because we're in the diaspora we're not living in Eretz Yisrael and having access to the holy temple at the base of Migdash and pure divinity that's going to be revealed at the time so sometimes the unholiness of the world gets gets a hold of us and we get entangled Hanukkah untangles us and lifts us into a state of Ram of Ramimus of exaltedness elevates us to a much higher place. Maybe that's also the reason why it's also, 240 is also mar. Mar means bitterness. So it converts the bitterness to light. It converts the choshech. We know one of the main ideas of Hanukkah is that we have the power to convert the dark side. That's why we don't light the menorah during the daytime. Or even when we do do it in the sunlight, you can light the menorah once the sun sets. But the point is the sun is setting already. Night is coming in. And most people don't really get to light it as soon as the sun sets. You know, we light it. Usually most people get to light it. It's already dark. And it's, it's in this side of the, of the world, in the, in the northern hemisphere, it's the shortest days of the year. And it's winter. It's cold and dark. And Hanukkah is the ability to light up the cold and dark nights. And, we, and also the place where the menorah is placed. It's placed to the window. It's placed to the outside. And the way it was initially instituted was to the doorway that goes onto the street. The whole point of Hanukkah is to illuminate that which is extremely dark. Because Hanukkah gives us the ability to illuminate the darkness and to transform the darkness, to elevate the darkness. Um, now, I'll add to it just, and, and that's the, so that could be the idea of 240, which is, Taking mar, which is bitter, the darkness is bitter, and rum and elevating. Rum means elevation, elevating the the bitterness, elevating us to a much much higher place. And from the darkness comes the greatest light. Like in the time of Hanukkah, the Jewish people were under a regime of crushing darkness. Particularly, the Greeks were representing the darkness of of disconnect, of contamination. That's why they contaminated the oil. They contaminated the Torah. That's what they did. Torah is our light, and they contaminated it. They wanted to take human intelligence and overpower divine intelligence and make us worship human intelligence and not divine intelligence. And that's the contamination of the mind. The most frightening thing, because the Jewish people's power God has given us is through our mind we eliminate the, re- the rest of our existence. The Torah illuminates our mind. And when you contaminate the Torah, when you contaminate the mind, that's very, very dangerous. That's why all the four exiles are hinted to in the beginning of the Torah, um, where it says, uh, The world was chaotic and empty, and darkness upon the deep waters. So the sages say that over here is hinted to the four exiles. And the Choshech, the sages say that's Yavan. 
They darkened the eyes of the Jewish people. So since Hanukkah is all about that illumination. Now, this concept that Hanukkah we illuminate the darkness. Well, I just add something which I just saw, which is so beautiful. I, I, I as we Matzah Shabbos this past Matzah Shabbos this past Saturday night we had a Malava Malkin. As I was researching the tzaddik, we were reading about. This is something I didn't say. Then is the Ruziner, the Holy Ruziner said that the great Hasidic master of Yisrael of Ruzin. He related, and he, speak, he was speaking particularly about Reb Baruch. He said the reason why Tzadikim used to travel in the three weeks. Three weeks is in the time in the middle of the summer when it's very, very dark in the world, spiritually dark. Summertime is, is, is actually more light than darkness. The days are long. But we know that the saddest period in, Jewish, in, in, in our calendar is the three weeks. So spiritually, it's the darkest time of the year. He says that, Rebaruch used to travel. He used to go out traveling during those three weeks. And he says many tzaddikim travel in the three weeks. That's what he says. Tzaddikim travel in the three weeks. Why? So he says this phenomenal idea. He says because it's very, very dark that time. However, we know that there's no such a thing that's devoid of God. So even the darkness has divine godliness in it, has divine light. It's just that the darkness is concealing the sparks of light that are in the darkness itself. Now, the way you uncover it is when you go out into the darkness and you take a visible light, a being who is luminous, and since that being is luminous, he attracts the potential sparks that's in the darkness. And based on that, he gives a very phenomenal explanation on the phenomenon that when you light a little flame inside a dark, dark room, the whole room is not dark anymore. How can it be that such a little flame? So we all know the rule. And Hasidism talks about it a lot. All you need is one flame. All you need is a little bit of light to chase away a whole light of darkness. Simply it means when a little, that light has this quality of expansion. So a little bit of light spreads entire the room and all the darkness, and so much of the darkness disappears from a little bit of light. But he gives a very powerful insight, which I've never seen before. He says the reason why the entire room lights up with a small little piece of light, he says, is because inside the darkness itself, there is light. It's just trapped. It's hidden. When you turn on a visible light or you give an invisible light, it pulls forth the light that's in the darkness. So it's actually the darkness itself that's converting to light. Not that because there is light, there is no darkness, in the sense that darkness doesn't have an existence. A darkness is only the absence of light. So when you put light, so the light chase, the darkness itself has light in it. And that light is tapped when it's it's like light, it it's like the the, the, the center attracts and pulls forth the light that's really there in the darkness itself. And that's why the tzaddik would travel out into the darkness. During, during the three weeks, by doing that, they would bring forth the embedded light that's buried in these dark times. So we can then, it gave me a whole new appreciation to Hanukkah. When we put the little lamp onto the street, it's not only that we are projecting light onto the street, we are actually uncovering the light that's in the darkness of the street. And all the darkness of the outside 
is now shining. The darkness itself is shining. Which is such an awesome insight. So that fits very well, which I was saying earlier, which based on this concept of rum, exaltedness, and converting the mar, elevating the mar, the bitter. And based on that, I'll take it one step further. Again, this is my own little chiddush. So I haven't seen this, it just occurred to me. The Lubavitcher Rebbe gave permission these days to say chiddush. Usually we refrain from saying our own stuff. But the Rebbe said that everybody has to say novel ideas. It's an obligation. So here is, here is another thought that I had. So I said, hey, listen here. If we are looking at the candle for four hours, technically, however, that's only one candle. One candle, the same, let's say, if I, if I would light one candle, then I am looking at that candle every day for a half an hour. I have four hours where my eyes are looking on a candle. But we're not just lighting one candle. The second night, we have two candles. So we're looking at two lights. So the second night, we don't only have we have the half, the same half an hour, but it's doubling because we're looking at two candles, two flames. The third night, it's three flames. So I did the calculation. I made a half, uh, then I went, I made a half an hour. Okay. First you have, sorry, you had, uh, I had, what did we have? We had, no, no, no. We had, how did I make the calculation? We had, um, oh yeah. 200 and hey, maybe my calculation was wrong. Let me, let me, let me figure this out. How did I come to it? I don't want to give a whole Torah and then it'd be wrong. Give me a second. Forgive me. Let's go back over here. So what did we do? I did like this. The first flame is 240. Second flame is what? Minus, minus what? Minus 60 seconds, 60 minutes. No, minus a half. Oi, how did I make this calculation? Maybe I'm totally off. Let me see what was my calculation. Oh, I know. No, no, I was right. My calculation was 30. I did it by night. I did it by, by evening. Okay. So here was, here, here was the way it worked. The first night is 30, 30 minutes because you're looking at one candle. The second night you're looking at that half an hour is really 60 minutes because you double it up. The third night is 90 minutes. The fourth night is 120 minutes. Fifth night is 150 minutes. And the next night is 180 minutes. The next night is 210 minutes. And the last night is 240 minutes. Okay, it was right. So if you calculate it, this makes sense. <laughs> Comes out to 1,080 minutes. You add each one, it comes out to 1,080 minutes total of looking at Hanukkah Menor. So I was trying to figure out what is the significance of 1080 and it fits really well with and i was trying to what's the number i remembered 180 1080 was a significant number but i didn't recall what it is so i did some search in the in the lubavitcher of his father's books because that's where gamatri is very this and i found that he talks about the number at least in one place 
I found he talks about the number 1080. And he says that 1080 is five times the word Gevura. Gevura is 216. Gevura means five times, we know there are five Gevurot, five powers of Gevura. 216 times five is 1080. So if there is, Gevura is the source of judgment, Gevura is the source of, of all, ultimately of all darkness and concealments and so on and so forth. And since through the powers of Ner Hanukkah, we light up all the Gevuras. We light up the darkness. So there's no more darkness left. We take the Mar, as we said earlier, the bitter, and we elevate to Ram, to exaltedness. Okay, so that's exciting. That's regarding the entire Hanukkah. Now I'd like to share a thought regarding what should we look at every single day of Hanukkah and that we can have something new to think about, each candle. Because each candle comes to add something. Each candle comes to add. So on the simple level, a Jew learns from Hanukkah that we're always supposed to increase the light. We're never supposed to be satisfied. As much as we've attained, there is always more to attain. Hashem has given us another day to live, another moment to live, increase the light. We have to always keep on growing brighter and brighter and brighter and illuminate more and more. There's a drive, the drive to increase. That's what we learn from Hanukkah. That everybody does the mitzvah in a way of mahadrin, mina mahadrin, which means every day, initially the actual mitzvah was instituted to light one lamp per family every night. And we don't do that. We do one, then we do two, then we do it. So that's the idea of additional light. But what is each light? What's the message of each night of Hanukkah and consequently into the day, the next day? First day of Hanukkah, what's unique and special in every day? So in order to know the specialty of each day, we will examine both the number of lamps that are done that that night. And also, Hanukkah has a unique Torah reading. Every day we read in the Torah. And like Hallel, for instance, we say Hallel, which is the praise that we say in prayer that we add on Hanukkah, or Al-Hanisa, which is the thanks that we give God on Hanukkah. That is equal all the days. That's non-changing in Hanukkah. Latkes, you can eat every night. Donuts, you can eat every night. Probably not the best idea, but yet, these are things you can do all the time. Dreidel, you can play all the time. But the what changes is the amount of lamps, and what also changes is the reading in the Torah. Over the entire period of Hanukkah, we read in the Torah a daily reading. And what do we read? We read the Hanukkah. The dedication of the Mishkan. Since Hanukkah was a time of dedication, where they rededicated the altar, the Beis Amigdash, the second temple that became defiled by the Greeks. So every day we are doing a new, every day, I'm sorry, so um, that's why Hanukkah is called dedication. So therefore in the Torah we read when they dedicated the first temple, not the first temple, the first Beis Amigdash, the first Mishkan. So they dedicated, and that connects to the temple, to the holy temple. So what was the dedication? So the, the, during the inauguration of the temple in the desert, in the, uh, the, the tabernacle in the desert, the Mishkan in the desert, the princes of the tribes, the leaders of the tribes, all brought a unique sacrifice. And, and, and the Torah lists 12, 12 gifts that were given. It was a 12-day inauguration. Now, Hanukkah, we don't have 12 days. Hanukkah, we have eight days. So the way it works is the first day we read the introduction, which which says that that it was on the day that Moshe finished 
erecting the Mishkan and we are ready, we're opening, it's the opening for business. On that day, all the all the heads of tribes came with a sacrifice. So that's the first thing. It speaks about all of them together. And then it singles out who offered the first day. That was read today, actually, in Shul. Who offered the first the first day? The first offering came from the tribe of Yehuda. And the, the, the leader, the prince of the tribe was Nachshon. And he offered his offer. The second day was the leader of Yisachar. And then came Zavulin. So every day we read another one. Now there is a problem. The problem is that some of these, in order to be read in the Torah, you need to read at least 10 verses. Because you have to give, you, you can never read in the Torah with less than three people called up to the Torah. There always needs to be at least three aliyahs. And three aliyahs are divided. You have to read at least, for each aliyah, for each person that's called up to the Torah, they have to read at least three verses. And the way it is, is that we never do just nine. We always add one more. Read much more, but a minimum of 10 verses. So um, that's the case. There's one reading actually on Purim where you only read nine. Other than that, there's never a reading of nine. There's always a reading at least of 10. So um, uh, the problem is that you can't divide uh, the, the sacrifices of one tribe, of one prince, doesn't cover nine or ten verses, maybe maybe four four verses. So what we do is we combine two of them together, four or five verses. So what we do is we always read every day, that day and the next day. So for example, today you didn't have to do that because today there's a long introduction. So we only read Yehuda. Tomorrow we're going to read Yisachar and Zavulin. The next day we're going to read Zavulin and Ruvain. And the next day we read Ruvain and God. Ruvain is the essential offering of the day. We add on to it God. And so we move through the various different readings. Okay? So who are the readings? Again, there is the first day is Yehuda. Second day is primarily um, Yisachar. Third day is primarily Zvulin. Fourth day is um, fourth day is Ruvain. Fifth day is God. Sixth day is Shimon. Sorry, the opposite. Um, fifth day is Shimon. Sixth day is God. Seventh day is Ephraim. And eighth day is Menashe. But along with Menashe, we finish all the other, we read five, five, um, five tribes. Menashe and all the ones that were left. Dun, Naphtali, Asher, and Benjamin. All five of them. On Zos Hanukkah, on the last day of Hanukkah. And we continue in to Parshas Bahaloscha because the reading of this is in the end of the second portion in Numbers, in Bamidbar. We conclude and then we go into the last portion that we read on Zos Hanukkah is Bahaloscha Esaneros, which is so appropriate for Hanukkah because Hanukkah, we're concluding with the lighting of the menorah. So that's the conclusion. That's the reading. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to analyze the number of every day and its connection to the, the one that's reading in bringing out the same chiddush. What's the chiddush and the novelty of that day? So we can have something exciting to look forward every night of Hanukkah. So what's the first day? What's unique about the first day is a few things. Number one, the first day we are introduced to Hanukkah. We're introduced to the menorah. The Jew and the menorah come face to face. And we have a lamp. We have already a godly lamp. We have a divine lamp that's lit. Um, 
but we don't have any anything other than the essence of the lamp itself. We have the one we have the one lamp. That's all. Just a plain, simple one lamp. But what's unique is, in other words, now we first of all introduced the light. A moment before we were in the dark, and now the lights are turned on. We have already a divine illumination. The unique illumination of Hanukkah happens. Now what else is unique on the first day? Is the only day that we say three blessings. We say that we say the blessing of the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. We say the um, we say what? What's the next blessing? That Hashem is a blessing for the miracles that God has done. And we say Hashem has enlivened us, that we're thanking God that we are alive to do this mitzvah. And we know that Shekhyanu you only do one time. The other nights we will make the two blessings, but not the, the Shekhyanu. Unless one forgot to make it the first night, you can do it any any of the nights. But the appropriate way of doing it is the first night. Who is the one who offered in terms of the sacrifices? Was offered by Shevet, the tribe of Yehuda, and by the leader of the tribe is Nachshon ben Aminah. So what is the idea? What does it convey? The essence of Hanukkah menorah is the essential bond that 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 connects a Jew to God, which is really the essence of the soul. And the essence of the soul is where one is connected unequivocally and in an absolute manner with Hashem. The essence of our neshama is most expressed in the act of self-sacrifice. Which is the general, because what does self-sacrifice mean? It's, we call it Mesiris Nefesh. The fact that the Jew is willing to go in fire and in water and to give up everything beyond all calculations in order not to be severed from Hashem. And that's the essence of what we call in, in, in Hasidic terminology, the Pintalayid. It's the, it's the very inner core essence of the Jew that can never, ever be tarnished. Now that comes, that is the most, that is the most visible on the first night of Hanukkah. Why? Number one, the story of Hanukkah was a story of self-sacrifice. When the people went to war, when the, when the clan of Maccabim, just a few um, zealots who couldn't bear the fact that Torah and Judaism was being trampled on, and there was a danger of it being extinguished for all, forever and ever. And these people, even though there was absolutely no rational and no logic to their, to their revolt, because there was no way that a couple of um, um, guys engaged in guerrilla warfare we're going to overthrow the mightiest army in the world, the most sophisticated army. They threw themselves in with an absolute um, um, sacrifice. Everyone knew that they're most probably going to die, but it didn't make a difference to them. They were not going to, to continue living disconnected from God. That was unthinkable. So they fought. And they relied on God, of course, with this powerful, insane devotion. So the whole miracle of Hanukkah was this was this um, this 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 deep this unyielding or or essential point 
of oneness, which we are inseparable from Hashem. Now that was expressed itself on the first day of Hanukkah as well. First of all, on the first day of Hanukkah, we commemorate the victory. The rest of Hanukkah, we're mainly commemorating the, the lights of the menorah. But the first day of Hanukkah is a commemoration of Hanukkah. They rested on the 25th day. That's one of the reasons for the name Hanukkah, which means we won the war, which celebrated their, 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 um, their victory, which the victory came as a result of the self-sacrifice. In addition to that, what happened on the first day? On the first day is when they found the jug of oil. And what kind of jug was it? It was a jug that was sealed with the with the uh, seal of the high priest. So spiritually, what does that mean? When the Greeks come in, and the Greeks don't only mean Greeks back then. The Greeks refer to everything that wants to contaminate our soul. All the darknesses, all the evil inclination, all the doubt, all the questions. All the all the all the darknesses that we that we have around us, all the klipos as we call it, that some that we know gets to us, in which we feel sometimes contaminated, and we we should we always have to remember that as far as the contamination goes, it can never ever 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 tarnish, it cannot destroy our core core essence. That always remains whole. That always remains complete. It always remain, remains an absolute loyalty and oneness with Hashem. It's unbreachable. Problem is that it's hidden, 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 very deep, 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 deep in our sub, 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 subconsciousness. And the power of the first day of Hanukkah is to unearth that uncontaminable jug protected with the seal of the high priest. The high priest means God. God protects it and shields it. And there, there that's our oil. That's our like we call what we call essential oil. Like essential oils, oils represent essence. So that essential oil at our core, that's the and it manifested in their Mesiris Nefesh and their in the, in the fight of the Maccabee. And that is the reason why the first night of Hanukkah, and that's one. The reason it's one, because the point of Mesiris Nefesh is you can't divide it. It's not. It's not pieces. We're dealing with an indivisible element of our soul. And it doesn't express itself in, in particular features. It's the underlying essence of our bond with God. It's beyond the color. It's beyond definition. It has no, no shape and form to define it. It is just a indescribable and undefinable point of oneness of the soul with God. That's why it's connected to the first day. One, the number one, which is beyond number in a sense. It's just, it's just it. It's just the essence. And that is the reason why um, it's the first day that we say the Shehechiyanu. Because what's the Shehechiyanu? First of all, when we say a Shehechiyanu, we are delighted. Shehechiyanu, you only say on something that is like super exciting. You manage to buy a new house, or you get a new thing, or you get a new, used to be a very a fine garment, you could say a shechiyan, or something that really excites you. The fact that a Jew is so excited that he's thanking God, I'm alive. What am I alive for? That I can eat, that I can, I can enjoy life? No, I'm excited that I lived another year to Hanukkah, and I can actually light the menorah, 
And that is so exciting that I'm alive. I'm thanking God for my life because I can like the menorah. That's because of this insane love that we have to God. That's the, an expression of the, of, the, of the essence of the bond of the Jew with Hashem. We say that on the first night only because that's when it's revealed. But the Shechayano covers all eight days of Chanukah. Because that Mesir Asnefesh, that what we call Pintalayid, that deep, deep point of connection to God, is what fuels all the other aspects of our Judaism and our connection to Hashem that does express itself in various different avenues and different form, forms of attachment, as we're soon going to see. From our essential bond emanate various different forms of connection in which we actualize this type of service and that type of service. But what's the underlying force beneath it all? An unequivocal, non-negotiable connection as unbreakable. And that's the first night. And that is why it is connected to the Nasi of Shevet Yehuda. And that is, and who was the Nasi? Who was the leader? Is Nachshon. What did Nachshon do? Nachshon ben Amenadav was the one who leaped into the water by the by the by this by the by the by when the Jews were ready to cross the sea, and this and the water didn't split, and the Egyptians were coming, and God said, "Let the Jews travel," but they couldn't travel because the sea was there, and while the waters were still there, Nachshon took a leap with the with an incredible mysterious nefesh, and because he went into the water, everybody followed, and then the sea split. God was waiting that we should make the first move. And we made, in other words, with trust and unequivocal, beyond rational connection to God. You know, the Jews were just saved, and now to go and jump in and and and, and die is like it's total insanity. And yet they were all they all Jews were. He he sounded the alarm of Mesiris Nefesh. He triggered in all the Jews that feeling, and everybody followed God with this blind faith and took a leap of faith, jumping into the raging waters of the sea, and then it split. God says to Nachshon, you were the one who sanctified my name at the, at the, um, at the sea. You're the one who's going to offer first. So that's the first day Hanukkah. Second night Hanukkah, what is unique about the second night Hanukkah? What's unique about the second night Hanukkah is it's the first day that we do additional light. As we mentioned earlier, one of the main themes of Hanukkah is that we are adding light. The first day you can't add light because what the first lamp that you're putting, it's adding, but it's not adding already on an accomplishment. Before that, there's nothing there, and now you're putting a lamp. Now, even though when you're going to buy your Hanukkah materials, your oil and your lamps and your wicks, already, it's not every day you run out to the grocery and buy another one. You already from before Hanukkah buy all the, all the wicks and the oil for the entire holiday. So you're readying yourself already for the increase, but in actuality, in the deed of the mitzvah, there is no demonstration that we're constantly supposed to ascend and add more in our Judaism, in our holiness, and matters of holiness. But on the second day, we give expression to climbing the ladder, to continuously growing. Now we do that on the third day, and we do it on the fourth day, and on the fifth day. And actually the third day, we're increasing more. But on the third day, it's not a novelty, because you've already demonstrated on the second day that you're increasing. The novelty of the second night, which is tonight, is to really hammer into our head, to really and integrate and to really identify with this power, incredible empowerment that we have in Judaism to constantly grow. 
because holiness and godliness is alive and the sign of life is growth. Growing taller, stronger as a Jew, more light, more positivity, more holiness, more illumination. That's the second thing. Um, Who's the holiday? Who is it celebrating? Um, or who are we? Who, who, who offered on the second day? The second day was the tribe of Yisachar. What was Yisachar? What was the unique element of the tribe of Yisachar? Yisachar was unique because they were huge Torah scholars. They were the greatest scholars amongst the Jewish people, were the tribe of Yisachar. They devoted themselves completely to Torah study. They are very, very, very prominent on Hanukkah because Hanukkah, the main threat which the Greeks and the main um, breach, if you can say that, the, the Greeks managed to breach and to harm the Jewish, the, the, the Jewish experience, the holiness of Judaism in this world, was they attacked the Torah. They attacked the Torah which they wanted to replace Torah knowledge with secular knowledges, with the secular Greek philosophies and sciences and so on and so forth. So he has explained other times, the Jewish people were not really, until the Greeks, there was no competition. There was no competing force that can kind of uh, seduce the Jews away from God because the rest of the world were pagans. The Greeks were also pagans, but they weren't too sophisticated and they weren't too knowledgeable. The Jewish people were always a nation of knowledge and of understanding. We were called the people of the book. We're very studious, very into studying and learning and gaining knowledge. So as long as there's no alter, alter, alternative to the pursuit of knowledge, there really wasn't anything that was there to serve as a competitive force. The Babylonians were boorish. They were lowlifes. They didn't have any sophistication to them. The Greeks brought philosophy. They brought great thinkers, great – and that – was a threat to the Jewish, that Jews would turn away from the divine Torah and turn to other things. So they threatened to darken the light of the Torah. That's what we said earlier. They represent the darkness. Torah is called light. Uh, the, 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 the wisdom, wisdom is called light. Torah, which is the ultimate wisdom, is the ultimate brightness. They wanted to darken it. And therefore, the tribe of Yisachar, which is the illumination who devote themselves to Torah study more than anybody else is very fitting for the second night of Hanukkah. It's the increase of Torah knowledge. As we begin to increase, it empowers us the second night of Hanukkah to study in Torah. The main thing in Torah is to always increase to learn more Torah and more Torah and more Torah. The more you learn, the more you open up, the more you want to know. The concept of increasing is very, very much prevalent in Torah study. So the, con- the, the energy of the second night is the energy of Yisachar, the, 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 the drive of increasing and increasing in Torah. We also have a little bit of Zvul in there, as mentioned earlier, because the Greeks didn't only threaten Torah study, they also threatened observance of mitzvahs. The Zvulinites were merchants, people of what, what, what made Zavulin, the tribe of Zavulin, unique is they were seen, as, the, the Torah refers to them as merchants. They were businessmen, and they were the ones who supported their brother Yisachar. In other words, Zavulin and Yisachar were two very, very close brothers, and the tribes supported each other. Um, Zavulin would 
feed. They were the ones who supported physically, financially, their brother Yisachar. And Yisachar would share their Torah knowledge, but also the merit of their Torah study and the spiritual light that the Torah study brought into their souls. They will channel those lights into their brother. In other words, there was some kind of a of a sharing of 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 uh, of merit. So the zvulin is in place also in the second day. Number one, because the now the zvulin people, the merchants, their main purpose is not so much Torah study because they're not spending most of the time studying Torah. It's mainly when you're out in the world, you're making money, you have a much greater opportunity to do mitzvahs. It's more, the Zvulun people are more action-oriented. And that's why the Zvulunites attach themselves to Yisachar. They're connected also to the increase. Because, but here's an interesting thing. On the first day, when you only have one lamp, which represents the essence of the bond with God, then all of Judaism was all included in just one point. One point of whatever God. Whatever you're asking for me, I don't know if it's you want me to study Torah, you want me to do mitzvahs. I don't sense at all any differentiation in any aspect of my life. All I know is whatever you want, God, I'm here. That's the first day. You don't sense any two. You only sense one. Second night, you have two lamps. One lamp is Torah. The second lamp is mitzvahs. Torah or a near mitzvah. Torah and mitzvahs. You can see already the flow of Yisachar and Zavulin. Two energies, Yisachar and Zavulin, because our primary service to God divides itself or, or splits, so to speak, into two flows, the flow of Torah and the flow of mitzvahs. So you have two. One is representing Yisachar. The, the main one is Yisachar, as we said earlier, because the main power of increasing is in Torah study. Now we move on to the third day. What is the novelty of the third day? The novelty of the third day is that we have the number three. And what's unique about the number three is the number three is, the, is, is in addition to three being chazaka, which means something has been established very firmly. So the illumination of Torah, of holiness, of godliness, of our attachment to God has now become unbudgeable. It's firm. It's strong. It can, it's un, inextinguishable. But there's another element that's very unique to number three. Three is the number of harmony and peace. So the concept of number three is to make peace which means when there are two opposites. Two represents a duality, and when there is a duality, there could be conflict. So a Jew finds himself in the world, and we are promoting holiness and godliness, but then there are stuff in the world that represent the other side. In the realm of two, there is a possibility of the other side. What the number three does is number three bridges the two opposites and creates peace, peace in the world. That's the purpose of number three. Why the sages tell us, we know, for instance, the Torah comes to make peace in the world, to unify heaven and earth, to unify the infinite with the finite, to connect, to bring holiness into what is temporarily, until Mashiach comes, unholy. And the Torah we know is, is, is very strongly associated with number three. Everything about the Torah is three, as we discussed. Torah was given on the third month. It's given on the third day. It's given through Moshe, who's number three. We discussed it in the classes that we spoke about, three, 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 about the year three. So three is the bridge, the unifier, the harmonizer of, of opposites. And ultimately, how does it bring peace? 
it takes even the ultimate enemy and converts him to an ally. That's the power of number three. The power of number three is that even where there is a darkness and there is an opposition, and at, at the onset, you see certain people, entities, forces in the world that are battling against you, and these, and these dark demons can be within yourself, can be our own evil. Throw in the hat or throw in the towel. We're ready to give up because we feel like as much as we try to do, to do the right thing, we experience a dark side in ourselves that is an opposition. So we have to realize that the Torah is the power of three. Don't give up. Keep at it. Learn Torah. Learn Torah. Do mitzvahs. And what's going to happen is eventually that which is negating and, and opposing is going to get thinner and thinner and thinner until it's going to disappear completely. And the same is just like it is in our own small world, so it is in terms on, on, on the on the universal scale. Eventually all unholiness will convert to holy. That's the power of number three. So therefore it's most associated with, and that's very important to Hanukkah. Because as we said earlier on Hanukkah, where do we put the menorah? Hanukkah is not just about increasing extra holy lights, but it's to go to the places that are dark and to infiltrate the forces of darkness and not only blast them away with light, but actually transform the darkness itself to light. That enemies and people and forces and anti-Semites and whatever it was that was out there that was once a obstacle for holiness and godliness in this world become very, become dear friends and allies. That's the point. That the very entities in creation that seem so ungodly are turned around and become a force to support holiness and become part of the holy experience and that is the power of as mentioned earlier that is the power of what of number three so hanukkah is very deeply connected just like hanukkah is the idea of increase in holiness hanukkah is conversion it's here to make peace in the world who is now, which service engages the world and converts the world from darkness to light? Not so much Torah as much as mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are done with the actual physical. Um, um, mitzvahs are done with the actual physical objects of the world. When a person is studying Torah, you're not really involved and engaged. You're sitting in a, in a shul, you're sitting in your library, you're sitting in a, in a book, in a, in a room full of holy books. You're in holiness. To a certain degree, of course, you're affecting the world because you're talking about the worldly things in the world and you're trying to see them, you're not you're seeing, you're declaring how they are from God's perspective. So it's having a, an impact on the unholy world, but not as far as mitzvahs. Because in a mitzvah, you're actually taking the physical aspects of creation and converting them into a mitzvah, thereby literally transforming matter, transforming the lowest substances of this world and converting it to holiness. That's why the day most associated with this power is the power of Zvulin, because they're business people. They're, they're people that walk through, they don't stay in the holy centers. They go out to Wall Street. They go out into downtown. They walk the halls of of in all the in all the all the capitals of the world. They go to conventions. They go out there and meet, met, interact with the world. And from with within that interaction, they're full of full. Of, they do mitzvahs 
And in that mitzvah observance, the world becomes purified from within its very self. Not from not not being influenced by an outside force, but it changes the very, very dynamic of creation from the bottom up. That's the idea. And that's why this is the force of peace. So now we come to day number four. Now, oh, now who else do we read about on that day? Who else is read about on that day? We read also about um, Ruvain. Remember I said every day we read him and the next day. So who else is read on that day? Ruvain. What's unique about tribe of Ruvain is that Ruvain is the first person God says to do tshuva. Ruvain, we find last week, he wasn't there when the sale of Yosef and the sages say because he was preoccupied in a sack and his fasting. Ruvain, according to what it says openly in the Chumash, Ruvain sinned. It says he slept with his father's concubine, the second wife, Bila. Sages say he never did that. He just moved. The Torah is speaking very strongly. It's not what he did. He, he, he wanted to honor his mother, Leah. So he moved the beds around. He took Billah's bed out from Yaakov's room or moved Yaakov's bed out of Billah's uh, apartment or tent and he moved it into Leah's apartment. He felt that it's dis- disrespectful to his mother. So because he was messing with his father's bed, it's considered as if he, he the sages say, that, that that's the meaning that he lie down with his, with his, uh, with, uh, with Billah. But he didn't really do that. So now, but but he did tshuva for that. And it says that God says to, to Ruvain, you're the first one who really did tshuva. Even though Adam, Adam did tshuva, Cain did tshuva. But it says that their tshuva was lacking because they only did tshuva after God chastised them. And was their tshuva came because God reprimanded them. After God reprimanded them, they did tshuva. Ruvain did tshuva on his own volition, on his own. He's the first person to wake up from within himself and say, I need to repair. The ultimate, ultimate transformation of darkness to light comes from tshuva, even more than mitzvahs. That's why Ruvain is also on the third day, which is all about making peace in the world. Ruvain is latched in because it's through mitzvahs and through tshuva in which the world changes over. We make peace in the world. And that is the power. So from the third night of Hanukkah, we get the incredible understanding and appreciation that there is no force that we can't convert. And that ultimately everything will make peace with us because God is the re- reality of everything. So even if the temporarily we're up against powerful oppositions, we know they will give away. They will eventually turn over. Peace will come. There will be peace. And the entire world will be unified with holiness. We go on to the fourth day. It's the day of Ruvain. What's the novelty of the fourth lamp? Now, I am following over here a talk the Rebbe gave, the Lubavitcher Rebbe gave, which he explains every night of Hanukkah. He gave it in Tav Memchas. On the fourth night, he gives very little. So I, it leaves me, for, it has to, I have to do my own innovation. He says one thing, he says that it comes out, on that year it fell out on Shabbos. So the Rebbe is explaining that since the fourth day is Ruvain, which is the power of Tshuva, Shabbos is also Tshuva. The word Shabbos is Tshuva, but he doesn't give much insight into the significance of number four related to tshuva. So I I, I had to think on my own. So this is my connection, which I think it is. Since the fourth day is related, number four must be a number associated with repentance. That even after things, in the course of fixing the world, we have to lower ourselves into zvulin. We have to lower ourselves into the world. And once you lower yourself into the world, it's very possible that we can slip and fall. 
and get mired and stuck in the darkness of the world. So God has to give us a way out, and that's the power of tshuva. What's the relationship of tshuva to number four? So the thought that I had was, the word tshuva comes from tashuv he, returning the last letter of God's name. Shem's name is yud kevav, four letters. When the flow of the divine flows perfectly, it goes from the yud to the he to the vav to the he. As a result of, God forbid, our blemishes, we cause a separation in the divine letters, especially the latter he gets separated from the pre-earlier, from the first three letters of Hashem's name. The Shekhinah gets dragged along with us. The fourth the fourth letter is the Shekhinah. Since we all have a piece of Shekhinah inside of us, when we drag our soul into darkness, whether cho- with by our choice or by just circumstances, we cause a separation in the letters of Hashem's name. When we do tshuva, we're restoring our soul to unify Hashem's name, which has four letters, which brings a unification on all four letters of the world, yutke, vavke, unifying the four, four elements, fire, wind, water, and earth, the four, the four types of life, domim, inanimate, someach, plant, chaim, adaber. In other words, four represents a completion in the world where everything is unified together again. Tshuva is that power of unification. And on Hanukkah, the fourth night, the intensification of the power to do tshuva and rectify all four, which we get from Ruvain, and take that power of tshuva for the entire year. Now we go on to day number five. What's unique about the night of number five? What's unique about the fifth night is we finally have the majority of the menorah lit. So the menorah has eight lamps. Now we're already over. We're over the middle. We're more than half. We got the majority lit. So what is the significance of the majority? We have already so much light. We have such power. We have so much light because we're already into the majority. And as a result of that, we know something very interesting about the fifth night. Many Hasidic circles, and in Chabad in particular, we make a very big deal on the fifth night. It's uh, The Chabad Rebbeim used to make a party on the fifth night of Hanukkah. So there's various different reasons for it, but one of the reasons the Rebbe gives, is because the fifth night is a night that's extremely dark. Why? It's the only night of Hanukkah that can never fall out on a Shabbos. Shabbos is is a very bright day. Every other lamp of Hanukkah can fall out on Shabbos. The only night that cannot be on a Shabbos is Friday, is, is, is the fifth night. So therefore it's very dark. And what's the whole point of Hanukkah? The point of Hanukkah is that there's no darkness that we can't blast through. But for that, we need a lot. We need the majority of the menorah. The fifth night of Hanukkah, we have already so much light that we're able to push, push, push and break through even into the greatest darkness. That means although Hanukkah in general is an empowerment to go light up the world, but even when we go into the world, sometimes we look at certain people or certain uh, elements and we say, that's not untouchable. That leave alone. That can never be rectified. That can't be repaired. In such a lowly, dark place, there can never shine any godly light. The fifth night of Hanukkah gives us the empowerment with the extra. We have our guns blazing. That's the point. We have our powerful, we have the 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 the, the, the big guns are out. All five lights of the menorah have the power to penetrate any darkness. And that is the reason why it is also the night, the day associated with Shimon, 
What is unique about Shimon? Shimon represents serving God in a way where Shema means to hear. Reuven means to see, and Shimon means to hear. Now, when we are in a holy state, or at least in a semi-holy state, we can see holiness. That means our souls can actually see spirituality and holiness. That means there's a certain clarity in our soul that holiness is visible. Uh, for example, not we see holiness, but we can see miracles. We can see God appearing to us in various different signs. What happens if a person finds himself in a state where there is no visibility of the divine in their life? At best, they can he- listen to others. They can hear. They're open to hear, but they can't see. That's showing on a very great darkness. That the power, it's almost like the person is blind. Spiritually, you're blind. But the the the... the so to be blind and deaf, that's that's not an option. But people, a, a lower state of existence is when we're in a Shimon state and we're not in a Ruvain state. We don't have the vision of Ruvain, but we're in Shimon state. And yet, the light of five lamps of Hanukkah can reach and illuminate even people that are blind. It can make it can make as long as your ears are open, you want to hear, you're curious. You can be illuminated by five lights of Hanukkah. They can illuminate even to the blind. That's the point. And that's what we're saying earlier. It's the power. It can't come out on Shabbos. There is no visual element of light like Shabbos is a visual revelation of God. You don't have Shabbos. But yet, all you are is weekday. That's it because there's no divine revelation. And yet, even there, the light can come. That's the power of the fifth night. What's the power of the sixth night? So the sixth night gives you two times chazaka, two triangles that we learned in the other shia. Two times three, two times chazaka. When you have two times, two times three, which is two times the strengthening of chazaka, it represents something very beautiful. It represents a, a magical power of success. It's what we call having mazel. Tremendous mazel. Which means, as a Jew, we're here to illuminate and we have to work within the natural order. We're not supposed to use miracles to change the world. We have to fix the world bit by bit, piece by piece, through natural, through going about our, our natural life. But sometimes we find that even though we're working naturally, there is a certain divine blessing which blesses us and things work out in this just, just a very unique way. And like you, just like you call someone who like, opened up the right, had the right idea at the right time and they started their business and they have, and what, we, what do we call that? We say this person has a lot of mazel. They're always at the right moment at the right time. You don't say it's a miracle, but there's like an, it almost looks like there's an extra measure of divine success in these people. That's called mazel. Mazel is associated with double chazaka. Double, because chazaka means you're strong, but you have an extra strength. And that's why there's so much mazel. Everything you touch turns to gold. That mazel. And that's why it's the day of God. God was called God because when he was born, his mother said, Mazel Tov. God means Mazel. Good luck, good fortune. And the lesson of the fifth night, of the sixth night of Hanukkah, is that when we're doing holy things, get ready for successes that you could never get ready that God is in the background and giving you just enormous success. The muzzle that we need that everything should work out. More than what we're doing, much more. It's almost like God is blessing our efforts. Not altering and doing miracles, 
It's all natural. But yet within nature, there is a divine blessing. And that's the power we get from the sixth night of Hanukkah. A divine blessing of unique mazel in everything we do. We come to the seventh night of Hanukkah. Seventh night of Hanukkah is the night of Ephraim. I mean, that, that day we read the reading of Ephraim. And seven. What's the significance of seven? The significance of seven is we've gone around the entire merry-go-round of time. Time works in a circle. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. So we go around and around. Now we've had Hanukkah every single day of the week. What that means is we have now the ability of elevating all aspects of life. Everything. We reach everywhere and every... Why? Time and space are, are connected. If you can infiltrate every aspect of time, Sunday is its own energy. Monday is a different kind of energy. Tuesday is its own energy. Everything is a different section of time, which also translates into the seven directions, the six directions and the center. So seven days doesn't always mean you complete with Shabbos because Hanukkah can start any day. But when you've gone through seven days, you went through every possible day and you lit your menorah in every day. Now, once you lit your menorah in an entire merry-go-round of one week, you hit every single day with light, then basically you've illuminated the entire year. Because what's the year if not 50, almost around 54 times or 55 times around that merry-go-round? You go around and around 55 times and you've got your year. And each time it's a repetition of the same day. Sunday comes around 50 Sundays, 50 or 53 Sundays or whatever they are, 54 Sundays, 54 Mondays. But if you hit every one, you've hit everywhere with godliness. So entire circle of, of, of the world, of time, has been lit up with Hanukkah. And that's why the person who was associated with that is Ephraim. Why did Joseph call Ephraim Ephraim? Yosef called him Ephraim because he said, God, you've made me prosper in the land of my pain. Joseph is in the land of pain. He's far from Jerusalem. He's far from, I'm far, sorry, from Israel. He's far from his father's house. He's in a land of infliction, a land where there should be, he should be, his, his life should be deteriorating. Instead, he's enormously pr- prosperous. Why? Because holiness breaks through, even in the most unholy of place. And that's the Ephraim element. So that comes when? When you've hit every element. That means there isn't, if you only hit six days, so there's always a possibility that a person will be in a land of infliction, in a certain prison, in a certain darkness, where over there the holiness won't reach. But the idea of having a Ephraim, of, 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 of being successful and being prosperous even in the land of affliction, is because there is nowhere, there isn't a place where the Kedusha cannot arrive, where Kedusha does not infiltrate, where holiness does not reach, where the divine success that comes from God does not reach. And that's Ephraim, and that's the seventh day of Hanukkah, is that prosperity, even when we're in exile, even before the redemption is here, Jews and Judaism stands in a very, very good space, to the point that even the nations recognize the tremendous prosperity of Israel and holiness and the Jewish people. And finally, we come to the last day of Hanukkah. The last day of Hanukkah is the eighth day of Hanukkah. And the eighth day of Hanukkah, what's the, what's the novelty of number eight? The novelty of number eight is after we finished 
revealing the holiness that's in every aspect of creation, we're blessed with transcendental light. Number eight is already miraculous. It's like the essence of Hanukkah finally is here. The power of Hanukkah is really transcendental, infinite light. So the first seven days, you don't really notice it. You're still working within the natural system. When you hit number eight, boom, your menorah lights up like, like bang. And what happens is this an incredible divine illumination of the infinite, that, that, which is really Mashiach light. That's the Giyula, that's the ultimate redemption. That's why in the days of Mashiach, we're going to experience the eighth note in music. It used to be in, the, in all along the temple, there were seven notes, seven harps, seven strings in the harp. But in Mashiach's days, there's going to be eight, a complete completion of infinite light. Number eight will kick in, and that happens on the last day. And that's why we call it Zos Hanukkah. This is the power of Hanukkah. In other words, from the eighth day, we get the understanding and appreciation that we are accessing really infinity and that Mashiach is in reach and that we can, and that we're ready tapping the lights of Mashiach. So throughout our entire history, throughout the thousands of years that we went through darkness, as much as we were in the darkness, we always had our hand reaching out and touching Mashiach's light on the eighth day of Hanukkah. That's when we hit real Geula, real redemption. So that's the novelty of the eighth day. And of course, therefore, we, comp- we what do we read? The last few tribes, we read the completing of their gifts, which is the completion of the inauguration of the temple, which is going to be inaugurated in the third temple. And then we also read about lighting the menorah, which is going to be which menorah? The menorah in the third temple. When we say the completion of the inauguration, it doesn't mean just the Mishkan, the tabernacle, or even the temple. It means we've completed inaugurating the entire world to become a home for God. The entire world is now the the seat where Hashem's infinite light can reveal Himself. So on the eighth day is when we're charged with enormous Mashiach power, the infinite and endless and boundless blessings that are about to come. So this is a teaching and a inspiration for every night of Hanukkah. And let us hope that we don't have to wait to the eighth day to have Mashiach's light, but let it happen tonight, right here and now. Thank you.